Good morning and welcome to Inspired, your grown-up girl talk. I'm Stacy Fleece. I am here with Samantha Tredelius and Jen Tavani. Good morning, gals. Good morning. So, social justice and racial justice. Big hot topics in the news lately. Let's just uh, go there today because we have with us today Joy Alfernis, who is, as far as I can tell, the most overachieving woman I think I've ever met in my life. <laughs> um, Joy, I just want I, I, to, just to start out, I just want to talk a little bit about some of the things you do relative to uh, just human rights in general. You are uh, serving as the committee chair for the San Francisco uh, Human Rights Watch. You are a board member at Refugees International, a board member at the campaign for the Fair Sentencing of Youth, a member of Solidaire Network, a member of the Ambassador Circle for Global Fund for Human Rights, and a member of the San Francisco Leadership Council for the Center of Reproductive Rights. And clearly, God created you to not need sleep. So we <laughs> probably could have done this at 2 a.m. and you would have been perfectly up for it. Um, welcome, Joy. Thank you for being here with us. I am fascinated with uh, the direction your life has taken from you know, theater training to human activist. How did we get there? Um, so it's funny that you asked that, Stacy, because the, the head of the lower school at my children's school asked me that a few years ago. And I said, well, you know, the, both things are really about empathy. You know, when you're, when you're an actor, everything that you do and every character that you embody is about empathizing with that character and being able to see their point of view and being able to advocate for them you know, as, as that character in that moment. And the work that I do is also really about empathy for our fellow humans. So it's not that, it's not the big leap that everybody thinks it is, but you know, what I will say is when I had my kids, I sort of stopped performing. I was also teaching acting and I stopped doing that to be a stay-at-home mother, raise my children. And when my daughter was born, I had, my son was three and I started getting really itchy. And I started thinking, you know, I have these two children who have, you know, the ultimate in privilege, you know, we're socioeconomically privileged, they're white, you know, they have two parents in the home, there was so much privilege that my children had, and I was looking around the world, and there was so much um, pain and so much inequity and so many things that were happening that just weren't fair, you know, just it, it wasn't fair. And I thought, what? What is it, what are my skills? What can I leverage? What can I do that would make this a little bit more fair? And then also, you know, when I was still performing, when I was still an actor, I worked for almost a decade with an organization um, called Each One Reach One, which is now merged with um, an organization called the Success Centers. But what we did was we went in and um, worked with incarcerated youth one-on-one. -on -one. We mentored them, and over the course of two weeks, they wrote a they wrote a play um, with our help. And there was a big. Sh I was 22 when I started that, and I was always, even from high school, I was always, you know, a little activist. But once I started working with each one, reach one, and I walked into those juvenile halls, and I saw all of these children, and I saw that the majority of them were black and brown children, and I, you know, caught little snippets of their lives, I just thought, oh, yeah, no, like children don't belong in jail. This is wrong. There are so many, you know, there are so many systemic things that feed into this, and that, you know, that experience sort of planted a seed that then really grew after I had children of my own and realized that 
you know, they, their circumstances would mean they would likely never be subjected to what these other children were subjected to. And how was I going to use, you know, my, my skills to, to leverage um, a more equitable future? So I think a lot of us see so much of this in the media and we read it and we hear about it and we, we see the news stories and, and we're sitting in our homes thinking, this is horrible. We, we want justice, we want equity, we want them to have the opportunities, but um, we don't really know how as individuals we can have an impact. And um, you, you really put your money where your mouth is, right? Like outside of sitting on 42 boards, <laughs> how, how can an individual like myself impact impact the world in, in the way to make it more equitable for everybody? Well, I think, I mean, I think the important thing to realize is that none of us do it alone. I mean, it really is about, you know, working in coalition with others and that every, every little thing matters. And I think, um, you know, I think the most important thing is being willing to be a little bit uncomfortable and you know, look, you know, a lot of people have done a lot of reading, I think, in the past several months. And I think reading is great. We didn't have a whole lot else to do over the last Yes, year, exactly. So. But I think, <laughs> reading, you know, reading happened, was on the list. Reading and sourdough bread. Yeah. <laughs> sourdough bread. Thank you. But I think what happened in the wake of, you know, all of the murders last summer, George Floyd, Ahmed Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, I think people were like, okay, how do I read about racial justice? How do I move forward on racial justice? And I think, you know, and I think that's great, but I also think, you know, getting in, in conversation um, with people and really being honest and having conversations about maybe what, where, where you may have had bias, where, where you might not have um, seen things clearly in the past. I, I think that all of us, you know, I, I actually have a really good story about this. So, you know, somebody, somebody once was telling me a story about feeling uncomfortable, um, or not feeling uncomfortable, feeling scared when they were in line for something and there were two black women in, uh, in front of them trying to order, it was like a sandwich, order a sandwich and they couldn't decide. And so this person went ahead and went and ordered their sandwich and the girls kind of said, Hey, like it was our turn. And they said, well, you know, I, I thought you were still deciding. And, and they told me, you know, I felt really scared. And I said, you didn't feel scared. You felt uncomfortable. You know, there, there was not, and you know, there wasn't anything scary about that situation. They were sort of calling you out on, you know, what happened. Um, but you, you felt you felt uncomfortable, and they they got a little fragile about it, and said, you know, no, that that wasn't the case. And I said, well, why did you feel it was necessary to tell me that they were black? Like, what detail did that add to the story? And they sort of sat and thought about it, and was like, oh, you know, I I, I sort of I see what you're saying here. And I said, you have to think about like every single day what these women experience, right? Every single day, the number of things like this that happen to them, it, it's, you probably can't even, even comprehend it. So, and you've been conditioned to be afraid 
but nothing about that was scary. You were just uncomfortable. And I, and this was somebody pretty close to me. And what I say to people all the time is like, this is the hill I die on. Like, I don't, there is nothing, like absolutely nothing that I'm unwilling to sacrifice, you know, other than my, my family, right? Um, in service to making this a more equitable world. You know, I feel like this is, this is, this is it for me. And so I think, you know, having the most honest conversations you can have and really being honest with yourself and um, just moving resources. I mean, there are so many, there are so many marginalized communities that haven't had access to opportunity or access to resources. And there are many of us that have more resources than we need and moving those resources in a way that um, sometimes is a little, little bit painful, I think is a great thing to do. And figuring out, you know, who's doing the great work, funding, you know, really funding the groups that know things best and um, not, not asking for accountability from them. You know, we don't, I don't ever ask for annual reports or report backs from, from these groups that I fund the same way, you know, when you invest in the stock market, you make it, you might get a return, you might not, but you know, if I believe in the work of these organizers, I'm going to fund them. Um, yeah. So I, I just think it's about it, you know, as, as privileged people making ourselves a little bit, a little bit uncomfortable and prioritizing the safety and well-being of others above our comfort. And I think too, many people want to help. They just don't know how to help. Mm -hmm. And so there are so many different ways and organizations that do great work um, in, you know, in lots of different areas that can be surrounding, you know, all these different topics. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think anything you could, I mean, you're the high overachiever in that department, <laughs> but I think, you know, anything that any of us can do, even if it's just a little, a little teeny tiny thing, it makes a big difference in the bigger picture. Yeah. And, you know, it starts from ourselves as parents and how we're teaching our kids and, you know, the, the tools that we're getting them ready to get out in the world with. Um, one of my favorite stories and um, just experiences that you've shared with me is your journey to Africa. And the, the trip that you took, and I remember when you went and how cool it was. Um, tell us a little bit about that, what got you there, and what that was all about. Um, so in 2014, um, I was asked to join the Board of Refugees International, and they knew that the Democratic Republic of the Congo was a place that I um, was particularly interested in. Um, it, you know, the Democratic Republic of the Congo back, you know, in about 2010 was considered the quote unquote rape capital of the world. Um, there, there was a lot of um, turmoil and conflict and they were taking a gender-based violence mission to um, the DRC to go visit refugee camps and um, investigate, you know, what was happening there in terms of uh, you know, gender equity and gender based violence. And so, you know, the way Refugees International works is they, they go, they investigate what's happening, they write a report, they publish the report and take it to um, policymakers to try and influence them to make change. So it's not like a humanitarian mission type of thing. It's an advocacy organization. Um, and so I, I was allowed to go along with them and observe the work that they were doing. And um, it was, you know, it's so cliche, but it was really 
it was really life-changing for me in the sense that, um, you know, you're sitting in these refugee camps with people who have like absolutely nothing. They have absolutely nothing, you know, moms and children and, you know, older folks and just, um, I just couldn't reconcile how my life and this situation could exist at the same time. There was, just, there was just such a disconnect for me there. Like, how can these two things exist at the same time? That's, that doesn't seem right. Like, it, it doesn't seem right that um, there could be just such a chasm. And so that, you know, that was a big piece of opening my mind to how, I guess how the global landscape is, you know, it's just, it's all part of the same ecosystem because, you know, the U.S. has such a huge influence in terms of, of foreign policy and we had, you know, we had an influence in what happened in the, the government and the DRC before, you know, things really fell apart and it it really got me involved in my global activism i was not so focused on global work for you know the years of 2016 to, to 2020 i was, really had a lens turned in toward the united states and now um now it's kind of a relief to be able to look globally again if some of our listeners are listening to this and going, wow, you know, I want to make a difference. I want to be more conscious of other people and different cultures. And I just don't know where to start. I'm from Marin. Everybody's white. How do I get involved? You know, where does that begin? And what would you tell, you know, the teenagers and people who are out there? Like, how do we talk about race and privilege and, and get involved without making, you know, some people don't have the time or the um, financial background to be able to invest the way you do, but maybe, you know, what's like the first step that somebody listening could, could take home and say, you know what, I'm going to make that change. So I have two things. What well, the first is something um, sort of anybody can do. And the second is some shameless self-promotion. <laughs> Um, the, the, the first thing is that, you know, one of the things that I started doing early on in my activism is I started reading news sources that weren't um, based in the United States, you know, like reading Al Jazeera, reading BBC, reading, you know, um, news agencies that are based overseas because they tend to have a more global focus. Um, but in terms of, you, you don't know, think TikTok is a good place to learn? Yeah, well, actually, TikTok, <laughs> that act, I don't, I watch, so my kids don't have social media, but I let them watch TikTok with me on my phone. And there are a lot of great content creators on TikTok that are talking really honestly about um, racial justice. And, you know, there are so many resources out there. And I think, <clears throat> excuse me, it can get overwhelming. And one of the things that I did last summer during the George, um, you know, the George Floyd protest, I saw a lot of fellow white parents really struggling. And I used to be a teacher and I've done it, um, you know, with my own children, I've tried really, really hard to actively raise them in an anti-racist way. You know, two years ago, I took them on um, a truth and reconciliation tour of the South um, where we really kind of reckoned with this country's history. And so when I saw my fellow parents kind of struggling, I said, well, 
I've done this with my kids. Like if you want to do this with your kids, I'll create, you know, we're all home. We're all virtual. There's not, we can't send our kids to camp. I'll create a little anti-racist camp for you. And to my surprise, 500 families oh my signed up. And so I created seven sets of curriculum from the ages of three to the age of, age of 18. And, um, you know, I, I had some, I actually had some hesitation about it because I'm a white woman, right? Like I'm not the authority on racial justice. I'm not, you know, I'm somebody that's, that's deep in this work myself, but I'm still learning. I'm still, you know, I still have a, a journey that I'm on, but I knew that I was a little bit farther on that journey than maybe some other people that were kind of struggling in that moment. And I felt like I didn't want those people going to their black and brown friends and saying, what should I do? How can I help? What, you know, I felt like we as white people really need to be doing this work because, you know, we're the ones that committed these original harms. So I, you know, I created this camp. I vetted it with my kids. I had them test the curriculum. <laughs> you know, they gave me ideas and um, and that exists, and I can I can send you the link for that. It's entirely free. I you know I didn't I wanted it to be available to anybody that wanted it. I have a feedback form so people can tell me if something you know doesn't feel right to them. And it's really geared toward white families. But I did put in my initial email, you know, some of the families that signed up identified as mixed race or identified as something other than white. And I said if you don't if you don't find what you're looking for here, you know, I'm happy to to present you as some other resources because I do know how overwhelming it is and how hard it is to know where to start. And it's how easy it is to give up when you don't know where to start. What, uh, just out of curiosity, what kind of feedback did you get from those that identified as mixed race or other race that signed up for the camps? Was that, did you find that feedback different? I didn't actually, um, you know, most of the families that signed up who were mixed race or who didn't identify as white were personal friends of mine. So I know that they would be entirely honest with me and, um, and they did not come back to me saying, you know, I want more of this or I want more of that. I did have one, one friend who identified, uh, who identifies as, she's actually, She's Asian and, um, and was born in Asia and has Asian American children. And she said, you know, I would love some more Asian American resources in here. And I actually have it on my, my list right now to add more um, resources about anti-Asian um, racism and discrimination because we've obviously seen a huge uptick in that in recent months, um, you know, due to some of the harmful rhetoric around, around COVID. So um, that was, you know, that was an incredibly valuable piece of feedback that I got from her. But otherwise, you know, all the feedback that I got from folks was really positive. I got some really good, you know, questions and people who wanted follow-up material. And, you know, every now and again, I see another, another family pop in my inbox. You know, I have a Google form you fill out and they pop in my inbox to sign up and I, I send it off to them. And so, and of course, I don't know how many people actually did it that signed up for it. You know, you never know if people actually use the resource. So, so, so I love the part. Oh, go ahead. That they sign up for, you give them the material and then they self-learn. Yeah. So it's, it's, I really wanted it to be as accessible as possible. So what I did was, is I created two or three activities per day for a five day camp, but you can do, you could do it in any amount of time that you wanted. You could do one activity a day. You could do, 
you know, you could do one day, skip a couple days and then do another day. You didn't have to do it in a specific timeline. Um, because of course, like this work can be hard for people and it can be uncomfortable for people. And sometimes you need to process it. And especially with kids, they might need a little, a little time to think about what they're learning. Uh, so instead of gardening, which you maybe did a little bit or building your sourdough bread, Joy basically yet again is here changing the world for us <laughs> during her COVID, her COVID vacation. Um, I want to flip the script a little bit and talk about a provocative subject matter, which I wasn't sure I wanted to talk about, but, I, but seeing your face and knowing everything I know about you, I want to talk about it. Um, and you and I, you had invited me to an event um, several years back with your work with the Center for Reproductive Rights. And, you know, I've always known things are pretty shitty for women in other countries when it comes to that. And also there's a lot of issues here in our own country when it comes to our bodies and, and what, what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And recently in the last few weeks, we've got this whole, you know, red flag up again about abortion and women's rights and our bodies and everything else. And it, it really frosts my ass, as I'd like to say, because I'm, I'm infuriated with like the fact that here we are in 2021 and we're still having a dialogue about what goes on with my uterus when it's not anybody's decision, but my own. And that is a provocative statement. I understand that, but that's my opinion. Um, wh what, why are we here again? Well, I mean, like most things, it comes back to the white supremacist patriarchy. So, um, you know, there are, I think what's happening is, you know, people who are in power see their power moving and they know that threats to their power come from, from marginalized groups and they want to make sure that they continue to marginalize those groups. Um, you know, most of the people who are harmed by these policies are not people like us. It's, you know, it's, it's Black women, it's Latina women, it's, um, you know, or I should, I should say it's Latinx people and Black people because not everybody that gets an abortion identifies as a woman. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it is very shocking considering that over 70% of the population is supportive of abortion rights. Um, you know, the silver, the silver lining, I guess, here is that most abortions now are medication abortions. And, you know, there are ways to, to get that without visiting a clinic. But, you know, right now, this case that's going before the Supreme Court is the last clinic in Mississippi. I mean, it is the last existing clinic in Mississippi. And they're, um, you know, they're, they're, the Center for Reproductive Rights is actually uh, running the case. And if this law is allowed to be passed, you know, women in Mississippi will not have access, you know, they, the clinic will not be able to stay open with a 15 week ban. Um, so it's, it's upsetting that the court took this case, they shouldn't have considering the, the most recent case out of Louisiana, and then there was a case out of Texas in 2015. Um, them even granting cert to this, this case is not great. Although I am very confident in the center and if anybody can win this case, it's, it's them. Um, but yeah, I think that there, you know, if you look at Congress, Congress does not represent the people and, you know, we have the, it's all it's all interconnected, right? We have these gerrymandered districts. We have, you know, more people that voted for Democrats, but more Republicans in office. Um, and they just, they want to hold on to their power. And, 
you know, they can hold on to their power by subjugating other people. Does and anyone else look at some of these um, congressional representatives that we see on television and wonder, how did these people get elected? Like, <laughs> is, is it just me or do you just go, <laughs> who voted for these people? Who thought that was a good idea? It's, I mean, it's, 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 it's amazing sometimes. <laughs> there's gerrymandering and then there's, you know, there's a lot of, we haven't invested in education in this country. There's a lot of people that, you know, don't have a lot of education and who, you know, believe the rhetoric that other people are going to take their jobs or take, you know, steal their, um, you know, their livelihoods and they, Easily brainwashed people. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's, you know, a lot of it is very fear-based and um, I think, I think people are, you know, people are struggling and they just want to believe whatever somebody's telling them a lot of the time. But yes, I agree with you. I don't know how some of these people get elected. Um, it's just kind of a mystery. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's it's a wonder, I think. But I think, I think too, before we started this conversation, Jen had said, you know, the holy grail in her career is like, you, you don't push hot buttons with your clients. Like you don't talk about sex, you don't talk about politics, you don't talk about, you know, abortion and women's rights and racial issues. Yeah. Because these are all hot buttons for people. But what I'm finding more now, I think that people are open to these hot buttons. Mm -hmm. I was having my hair done, uh, getting a blow dry yesterday. And I, I don't know what came over me. I was just like fired up about like this abortion thing and like why we are talking about that. And you can see these young girls, they were, you know, in their twenties, they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they, they felt like, okay, you know what? We can talk, we can have a dialogue about these things. And I'm like, ladies, we need to be talking about these things because if we're not, and we're continuing to suppress, whether it's racial injustice or women's injustice, like nothing changes unless we go out and make it change. And I think joy, your work is like, just speaks to that on so many different like platforms. And so it's, it's very inspiring to hear, for, I mean, I know you personally as you're a badass woman to, to start with, but you know, all your work and everything you're doing, I mean, it's so selfless and it's, you know, you are making a difference out there. So thank but you. But it's not, it's not selfless at all because I really believe in collective liberation. Like I don't believe, I, I mean, I believe that, that saying like, no one's free unless we all are free. I think anybody being oppressed is my own oppression. I really truly believe that. And I talk to my kids about that all the time. Like if we don't have, if we don't have equity, like how can we even be sure that anything that we have is something that we earned or that we deserve or that um, is ours, right? If we, if, if we were com not directly, but even indirectly complicit in the oppression of others. So it's funny you say the hot button topics. It's like, that's my family dinner table conversation every night. Or <laughs> At my dinner table, I have four teenagers and they're all high school, uh, sophomores, freshmen, whatever. And uh, my husband teaches politics and government. And so we have a lot of this, um, conversation around the table. But what's amazing to me is that um, even our own kids who are pretty well educated, they understand this stuff, they say things and we're like, wait, that's a racial, racial comment. You can't talk like that. You can't say that. Well, I heard it from so-and-so or I read it somewhere. And so we have to go over this again and again about 
you know, what is racist and what isn't. How would you, I, I mean, we struggle with this and our kids are educated. So if there's, you know, families or people out there, you know, how do we get these kids like to learn this stuff in an easier way? It seems difficult even for, for people who, who teach this for a living, you know? Well, I started really young with my own children. And, um, you know, what, what I really tried to, to say is all of us, all of us are racist. We all are. It's the like white supremacy is the water we swim in. It's not, it's not something that, um, it's nobody's saying you're a white supremacist, you're a racist. It's saying that like we all hold some of these beliefs because of the society that we were raised in. And so instead of like going into yourself and feeling guilty or shame for it, it's like, okay, well, let's like unpack that. Let's examine that. Like, why do we think that? And where did that come from? And do you understand the history behind that? And, um, you know, this came up yesterday. My son's going to be applying to high school. And um, we were talking about like what kinds of spots might be available in certain schools. And I said, you know, of course, like Oliver, you know this, like you can't, the, one of the reasons what they're talking about getting rid of a test. And I was like, one of the reasons is because not, not just because some kids test better than others, but because some people come from, you know, they don't have the same access to resources and they haven't had the same historical um, support. And so it's just something we weave into our conversation all the time. But I think, I think taking away the guilt and the shame from it and saying, okay, of course, like we all have these things, but here's, here's why, how these beliefs, you know, why these stereotypes exist and why they're harmful is just, you know, just unpacking it and not, um, not putting shame around it. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, Joy, you are inspirational in many, many ways um, as coming from acting to activist. I think it's an amazing journey that you've had. Um, I hope that people, you know, listen hard to some of the things in this little episode here, because I sure think that we all can do a little bit more in our own lives to just show more equity to others. And we appreciate you joining us today. We uh, thank our inspired listeners for joining us and we hope you all go out and uh, act out and be inspired.